0: Amen, amen. Well, if you haven't been with us uh, recently, we are uh, walking through the book of Ephesians in a, in a series we're calling "In Christ," and so we're going to be in chapter two, uh, verses eleven and following this morning. So, however you prefer, you could be turning there. If you don't have a Bible on your a Bible app on your phone, we recommend you Version. Uh, With it, you can uh, listen and read the Word of God. You can find plans to help it make sense. And actually, you can follow along with our screens uh, while you're here during the service. Uh, So last time, we looked at uh, verses 1 through 10 in chapter 2. And they have been called the most concise presentation of the gospel in all Scripture. Uh, And remember, it told us, you were dead. So somebody say, yeah, that's me. Because it's talking to all of us. You were dead. It tells us we were dead in trespasses and sin. And we saw that that means we were dead because of our sinful actions. And also we were dead because of our sinful nature. Uh, We don't just need resuscitation. We need resurrection. And not only were we dead, we were also Satan's. It told us we were walking according to the prince of the power of the air. And we were doomed For the wrath of God, the almighty God, and there is nothing more terrifying but God, who is rich in mercy, and because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, he made us alive in Christ. And it tells us that one day he will show us his grace and kindness. As much grace and kindness of God that we know today, one day we will know infinitely more. Uh, a study that I used as I, studied, as I prepared for these messages uh, was on Right Now Media. Uh, if you don't have Right Now Media, that's our gift to you just for being here today. It's kind of like a, a Christian Netflix full of Bible studies that you can check out. But uh, one on Ephesians with J.D. Greer, said, said, he said it like this. The cause of salvation is grace. God did it all. By grace, you have been saved. The means of salvation is faith. By grace, you have been saved. Through faith. And faith is not simply a religious feeling or a virtue. Faith is the belief and resting in the fact that Jesus Christ has accomplished it all just like He said He did. The effects of salvation are good works. He calls each one of us to holiness and sanctification. Sanctification is a word that we use to describe the lifelong process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And the promise of salvation is that what God started, He will see to completion. These first ten verses were addressed to you, which includes me, which includes all sinners. In our passage today... Uh, God's word specifically addresses Gentiles, Gentiles, and so it, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think all of us are Gentiles, we are not Jewish by, uh, by descent, and so uh, this also includes every one of us here today. If you are able, out of respect for the word of God, please stand as we read Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ." May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. Thank you. You can have a seat. I uh, I gotta tell you, this, this is about the the tenth time I've read this passage this week, and it's just more and more rich every time. Uh, that's just the power of the Word of God. Again, it's to the Gentiles. This is to you and me. So not only does everything that we saw in verses one through ten apply to us, but so do these verses. And so we see number one on your outline: we were separated. We were separated. Already by actions and condition, now we are separated ethnically. Look at verse, verse 11 and 12. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. See, we were Separated First, described here as without Christ. Now just, just let the weight of those two words sink in for just a moment. Without Christ. Those of us who are in Christ, we understand the weight of what that means. Without Christ. Completely exposed. Completely unshielded from the wrath of the Almighty God, absolutely detestable to Him, and absolutely nothing in and of ourselves to fix us. We were separated. Notice the next phrase. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And what that means is uh, it has Old Testament roots, because there, to be separate from Israel, was to be separate from God. If you wanted to be a part of God's people, you had to change ethnicities. You had to become a citizen of Israel. And so there was a real legalistic separation between the circumcision, or Israel, and the uncircumcision, Gentiles, or us. To become a part of Israel, a man would have to be circumcised. We know that God gave Abraham the covenant sign of circumcision. It was a cutting away of something valuable on the outside for something more valuable on the inside and much more eternal Throughout the Word, we see God's concern is not with the outside, but it's with the heart. He doesn't see as man sees. He sees right through it to our heart and to our motives. The religious ritual of circumcision has absolutely no saving power. What needs to be circumcised is our hearts. We need to cut away the stone-cold, sin-filled rebellion that our natural condition produces so that we have a heart that God can work with even today religious rituals have no saving power i I have to tell you you being here today is not going to get you to heaven just the fact that you're here it it just won't legalism has no saving power the saving power is found in christ if we just look good on the outside uh, god is not impressed But if we allow him to make our hearts into what he wants them to be, he's still not impressed, but he's pleased and he's glorified. I wonder if uh, any of us ever tried to impress God. Really, it's it's a ridiculous thought, but it's one that I know that I'm more than capable of. Try to impress God with how holy I can be. With my, my messages or my, 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 my life, my attending church, my giving. And I just tell you that God is not impressed. He holds the entire universe right there between his thumb and his finger. And anything that I can do is not going to impress him. He keeps everything going. Whatever I might do to try to impress God, he's not. And without Christ, I am completely separated from him by actions by condition by ethnicity we were separated without christ alienated from god's people look at verse 12 strangers from the covenants of promise you can write this down everything god does is based on covenant everything god does is based on covenant i know the ladies on thursday mornings are going through the study of covenant Uh, And so they've probably heard that line before. Everything God does is based on covenant. A covenant is more than a promise because promises are easily broken. A covenant is a binding agreement that says if either side breaks their end of the bargain, they are inviting the wrath of God into their lives. A marriage is a covenant. We see people break marriage covenants all the time. and, And there are consequences when they do. But church, God will never break covenant the covenants of promise there in verse 12 they refer to uh, those that that God made with Abraham and David the covenants that shaped Israel the covenants that alienated Gentiles then but now we know what God covenanted with Abraham has come true we know what it means Genesis twelve three. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is the promise, that last line there, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's a promise of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who came through Abraham to save people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. As Gentiles, we were once strangers to this truth. And that's why we had no hope. Did you notice that's what it said said there in verse 12? Remember, you were once Gentiles in the flesh. Verse 12, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We were hopeless. What comes to mind when you hear that word hopeless? What, What picture do you get in your mind? Some of us have been there before. Unbearable loss. Pain. Man, that is, I mean, it's, nobody should have to bear some of the stuff that, that some of you, us have been through. Financial crisis. Uh, when, when I think of hopelessness, I, th- I always think of the, the movie Castaway, where Tom Hanks' character, he was marooned on an island for an extended amount of time, completely alone. These are we we all we all have heavy stories of of hopelessness that strike an emotional chord within us. They tell of great desperation beyond words. We don't discount anything that any situation any situation that any of us have been through. But here's the truth The most hopeless hopeless story on earth doesn't compare to the hopelessness we had without Christ. Because hopelessness on earth has an ending. We may take it to the grave, but hopelessness without Jesus, without God, that will last forever. Verse 12, we were without Christ, aliens, strangers, having no hope, and without God in the world. Alone in my sorrow, dead in my sin, lost without hope, with no place to begin. We sang it this morning. We were separated. But number two, but now we are reconciled. Now we are reconciled. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. That's when death was arrested and my life began. Look at verse 13. But now, we've already seen the but God. It's basically the same. But now, in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So we were separated, but now we are reconciled. That word reconciled means to bring together again. Now, notice that word enmity in verses 15 and 16. It's the next blank on your outline. Enmity is hostility, a reason for opposition, a reason for hatred. And the enmity spoken of here is at least twofold. There was enmity, there was opposition between Jew and Gentile. Between Jew and Gentile. Notice that phrase, the middle wall of separation there in verse 14. That refers to the temple. That was a place where where God dwelled. That was the place where God dwelled. The place where only God's people could have access to him. And and archaeologists have have recently uncovered a sign from the temple and translated it says this. the the, The inscription told the Gentiles, No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. And so it's another layer of separation. And people used it to fuel the enmity. They used it as a reason for opposition and hatred and hostility. But verse 14, for he himself is our peace. And he has made both one and broken down the middle wall of separation. Jesus reconciled the enmity between Jew and Gentile. But remember, the enmity was twofold. Because there was also enmity between God and sinner. Between God and sinner. Verse 15. Having abolished in Jesus' flesh the enmity that is the law of the commandments. That's referring to the Ten Commandments. God's top ten list that He gave His people to be made right with Him and to be made right with each other. A list that, that the people soon found out they could not keep. A list that, that caused everybody to be guilty. That's, that's the Ten Commandments there. It identified the enmity between God and sinners. Having abolished in Jesus' flesh the enmity, that is, the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. It's the biggest peace mission ever taken. There have been a lot of peace missions in history. One fact says uh, between the years of 1500 B.C. and 830 A.D., there were 7,500 peace covenants agreed upon by various nations, but none of them lasted more than two years. The peace covenant made in Christ is everlasting. No one, no nation, no thing will ever be able to break that peace covenant. Jesus created in Himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that He might reconcile them both, verse 16, to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And He came and preached peace to you who were afar off and those who were near. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit, To the Father. See, whether Jew or Gentile, we all have the same problem of sin that caused the enmity between us and God. And so Jesus offers to reconcile the world back to God. We were separated, but now we're reconciled. Number three, and we're unified. We are unified. Now, we've already read it, but it's easy to miss. Notice here. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made both, what's the next word? One, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of the commandments, contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself, what's the next word? One, new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in what? One body through the cross, thereby putting to death. The enmity. See, now we are unified. Notice the singularness of how the body of Christ is described in these next verses. Verse 19 Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building Being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom also you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So it's the household, not households. The whole building, not buildings. A holy temple, not temples. A dwelling place of God, not dwelling places. Now we are unified. We see that we are the next blank on your outline. We are one people. We are one people. Now, some of you may or may not agree with me on this, but I believe that there is still something special about Israel. There is a a belief out there that the church has has somehow taken Israel's place. I don't think so. I still think there's something special about Israel because God made an everlasting covenant with, with them in Genesis 17. And so he's not done with them yet. But this unification goes beyond ethnicity. See, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. They are no longer strangers and foreigners, but now we are a part of God's people, grafted in, so to speak, as it says in other places in Scripture. 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are unified. We are one family. The next blank on your outline there. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. To be a member means that you're a part of the family. John put it like this in 1 John 3, 1 and 2. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, Because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Romans 8 puts it like this. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And just like being a part of a family comes with responsibilities and roles, so is the church, so is God's, God's family. And when one person doesn't do their role, that's when God's family is seen as dysfunctional. But no matter race, nationality, no matter denomination if we have trusted in what Jesus did on the cross and the empty grave, if we have repented of our sins and invited him to be the Lord of our lives, we are part of God's family. One people, one family, one temple. The next blank there on your outline. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. One temple. Jesus is the foundation. He's the cornerstone. And God takes all of the pieces, both Jews and Gentiles, And he builds upon the foundation of Jesus using what the apostles and the prophets and those who have gone before us in the church have done to make us one temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 2.5 You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now remember, you were dead I was dead. Church, only Jesus can take something that was dead and make us into a living temple, a living building to house the Holy Spirit, a spiritual house. No one else can do that. So we see what God has done for us. We were separated because of our sin, because of our... Because of our actions, because of our condition, and because of our ethnicity. We were alienated from God. We were strangers to the promise. We were hopeless. We were without Christ. But through Jesus, we have been reconciled both ethnically and spiritually. Peace has been reached only by the Prince of Peace. And now we are ushered into the family of God. We're no longer slaves to the old life. No longer slaves to fear. No longer slaves to the, to the devil. We were satans, but now we're no longer slaves. We're no longer slaves to sin, but we're unified in Christ. Believer, do you see the richness of the word of God? And if you're not a believer yet this morning, man, do, you, do you sense him calling you? to a relationship with Him through Jesus. As we go into a time of invitation, would you just bow your heads and, and close your eyes and allow God to, to move in your heart here this morning? We're going we're to lift up another song and, and just, just worship Him here because of this truth that we've seen. But What, is it, what does it mean to you? Th- this passage that, that, we've, that we've looked at here today, what does it mean that, that you were separated? All this other thing, these other things, you were dead, you were doomed, you were Satan's, but now you're reconciled. Oh, what a beautiful picture of the gospel. He has reconciled this wretched sinner through the blood of Jesus. Maybe you just need to worship him because of this truth. Maybe you would, you would look on your life and you would say, you know what, I, I know him, but I sure haven't been living like I know him. So maybe you just need to turn back to him. Maybe today needs to, needs to be a marker in your life that says, you know, that's the day I rededicated my life to him. October 16th, 2022. And I'm not going to look back ever again. I know what I need to do, the basics of Christianity. I need to get back to it. I need to be in the Word. I need to be praying. I need to be coming to this place and worshiping. I need to surround myself with godly influences. We know what we need to do. Is God calling you to do that? No, you know, in a group this size, there are likely some who would look back on their lives I know there's never been a time that you surrendered your life to what Jesus did on the cross. Surrender is hard. It's it's probably the hardest part of salvation because we want to be in control. We think we, we know best, but the reality is, how can a dead person know what's best? The Lord wants to breathe new life in you, and it's as simple as calling on his name. Lord, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. I believe that Savior is Jesus Christ and I place my faith and trust in Him. The altar will be open as we go into this time of invitation. If you need to pray, you do that. If you need someone to pray with you, you do that. If you need to pray for someone, do that. Maybe you just need to worship because of the truth of what we're about to sing and the truth of what we've seen in his word. Lord, we invite you to come. In the name of Jesus, amen.